It's September 1st, and that means hunting seasons are open up nationwide. But this is a fishing podcast, so what does that have to do with us? We're going to talk about the good old-fashioned cast and blast on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to us every week by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. Visit them at any one of 140 plus stores nationwide or at sportsmans.com. Also want to wish them a big old personal congratulations to Sportsman's Warehouse crew for opening a couple more stores in the last week uh, down in Florida and also in Little Rock, Arkansas. So the company's growing rapidly and uh, they've been a part of everything Fishful Thinker has done dating all the way back to 2004. So great company to be part of. But guys, it is September 1st and I don't care what kind of an outdoorsman you are, it's getting to be an exciting time. For some reason, when the calendar goes to September, uh, my brain starts shifting gears in a hurry. These first couple of cooler nights, although this year's a little different, we've had a lot of cool nights, but, uh, but typically speaking, the first couple of cooler nights, first couple of hints of changing colors in the leaves I start seeing in the cottonwoods, particularly the ones around the lake here, it gets me thinking about all kinds of stuff. And I have a running joke that uh, there's two kinds of outdoorsmen. There's hunters that like to fish, and there's fishermen that like to hunt. And without question, I'm a fisherman that likes to hunt. Uh, a couple of my closest friends are the other way around. They're hunters first that love to fish, makes us a good team uh, when we go to the woods and waters together. But uh, at the end of the day, most people, statistically speaking, that do one, do both. If you hunt, you probably fish. And if you fish, there's a high percentage chance that you do at least a little bit of hunting or have. So. Uh, for me, it's all about the food, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a food guy. I love, love, love to cook, and uh, it's one of my absolute favorite things to do. The older I get, the more I love to cook. I really, really love to cook fish and game, particularly anything that I harvested, although I love to cook, uh, I love to swap game with other people and cook that. So I got a buddy that goes offshore tuna fishing off the coast of California. He'll trade me tuna for venison or, or, or yellowtail or whatever for venison. Uh, I do some of that, also do some other trading barter system, you know, maybe some of my antelope for some of your elk kind of thing. I do that as well, but I love to cook, and this time of year, we start thinking about food, right? Hyperphagia, that's a thing. In fact, we're going to do a whole podcast on hyperphagia and what it means to hunters and fishermen here in the next couple of weeks, but basically, it's the acceleration of the, of the uh, desire to eat as everything puts on fat for the winter. Um, whether it be fish or animals, all of the above, it's that fall feeding binge that goes on. Most classically example being uh, bears, things like that. But at the end of the day, everybody does, uh, every, every animal that deals with wintertime does that. And uh, we'll go on feeding binges and humans are no different. When we start getting these cooler days, we start thinking about food as well. And for me, it's about filling the freezer. So a cast and blast is about as good a way as you could get to fill a freezer because you get a multiple kinds of protein out of the deal. So uh, here in Colorado where I live, as far as opportunities go from basically, well, actually archery antelope's been open for a little bit, but, uh, but September 1 through about middle of December, we have really good options. We got a variety of, of hunting seasons open or, or that will open and close throughout the, the next few months. Uh, and some of the best fishing of the years right now. And it really doesn't even matter what species you like. It, it, you could like anything from, from cutthroat trout to catfish. They, uh, they all feed well at this time of year. 
and it means that it's a good opportunity to fish. Well, the hunting seasons are a little more structured, right? Particularly big game seasons or whatever, they're very much more structured, but they tend to lay right on top of some very, very good fishing. So I figured we'd do a podcast, and it might be a little bit of a short podcast this time, of some of the best options and what you might consider uh, for cast and blast opportunities and, and how, I, how I deal with them. Because like I said, it's one of my favorite things to do is to, to go to the field and come home with both fish to eat and some other protein source. So first ones I'll throw out there, um, for here in Colorado, western Kansas, Nebraska, um, not totally sure west of here as much just because I don't have as much personal experience over there, but I think probably Utah as well. Uh, for sure, in some areas of Wyoming, uh, we're going to have some of the eastern plains lakes that are east of the Rocky Mountains that will fish very well in fall. Now, the one caveat there is water levels. Now, this year, it's not as big of a deal because we've had a tremendous amount of water in the system. Uh, even dryland crops have done well this year, which those have not done well for, for farmers that I know since they were kids. And, uh, and so there's been a tremendous amount of water. And so the Eastern Plains Lakes in Colorado are actually looking pretty good. I know in Western Kansas as well. And those reservoirs can fish very good. Could be walleyes, could be bass, could be wipers or white bass. Uh, one of my personal favorites, Swanson Reservoir in, in southwest Nebraska. Uh, tons of white bass, tons of walleyes, tons of catfish, uh, tons of crappie. Excellent place to go harvest a variety of food for you. Uh, and those lakes are very, very fertile. Same thing with some of the western Kansas lakes. Um, Lake Key Sibelius, Cedar Bluff, uh, even central Kansas, Wilson is an excellent one. You go up to Nebraska, Red Willow, all of those lakes will fish very well in the fall. In Colorado, you've got Sterling, you've got John Martin down south. There's a bunch of reservoirs, and all of those reservoirs are either state parks or state wildlife areas, which means in almost all cases, you can hunt right around them. Now, check your regulations, guys. I'm not going to tell you to blindly take what I take as the gospel, but in my experience, most of them offer hunting as well, and they offer small game hunting. So, it's not all about getting you a deer tag, per se. I mean, you think Western Kansas, think, oh, well, we're going to go deer hunting. Well, not necessarily. You might not have a tag. Tags aren't that easy to get, whatever the case might be. However, there are lots and lots of rabbits to be harvested. There are squirrels to be, to be harvested. There are birds, quail, and pheasants, and everything else to be harvested. And overlaying those two together, doves being the really big one, open today, get out and do some dove hunting, um, those are the things that I would really think of for early season cast and blast is, is I'm going to go do a small game and uh, maybe some migratory birds, particularly doves, and some fishing. So really good example of, of that is the dove and the boil bite or the wipers and white bass that will boil on the surface. That's a very classic combination for me where we go out and we... We go out and we catch uh, doves, shoot doves first thing in the morning and last thing in the evening and in the middle of the afternoon when the boils are going, then we go get after those. In some scenarios, you can even access the bank from your boat and then get out of the boat. In a lot of cases, you can't shoot from the boat if it's motorized, but you can access the bank on some of the reservoirs and, and then hunt from there. But for me, it comes down to um, a combination of typically at this time of year, it's going to be doves and it's going to be some sort of white bass or wipers, maybe some late summer walleyes. 
So that's a really good combination all the way around is, is those reservoirs. If I'm going east, one thing I always got to keep in mind, and really anytime you're going to harvest food, but especially in September if you're going east, it could very easily be in the 90s still, uh, or at least in the 80s temperature-wise. So game will spoil very quickly. So I don't ever want to get very far from my vehicle, for one, because that's where my cold source is. Uh, and then for two, I want to clean everything immediately. So I carry an Outdoor Edge kit with a replaceable blade. It's very sharp. Also, the blade has a gut hook on it. I will literally clean birds or game as I harvest it at this time of year, uh, like immediately. And I have I carry a water bottle with me. I can rinse my hands back off with a quick towel, and that way I don't get my gun all dirty. Uh, but I want to clean my game immediately. Same thing with my fish. When I put them in the boat, I'd rather them not be in the live well for a long period of time if I can avoid it. So if I'm going on a cast and blast hunt, I'm going to have ice available to me, whether it be in the boat or I'm going to have it in the truck for my small game. So as soon as I get back to the truck, I can cool my stuff down. Now, one quick caveat that will carry through this whole podcast If you're going to use ice to cool your stuff down, try to keep it dry. You don't want your meat wet if you can avoid it because that's a great way for bacteria, particularly if it's not truly ice cold all the time. That's a great way. So I like to rinse my stuff clean. As soon as I get back to the truck, I carry a five-gallon jug with water in it, rinse it clean, pat it dry, as dry as I can get it, and then put it immediately in uh, some sort of container and on ice. And typically for me, I just bring, depending on what kind of game it is, I'll bring like Ziploc uh, disposable containers, not bags, but like like a Glad or a Ziploc, not to to pull brands out, but like the plastic um, disposable Tupperware kind of stuff. Put them in there, put them on ice, keep them dry. Very, very important that you keep them dry to keep the bacteria down. And I do the same thing for the fish fillets. Uh, keep them in airtight and dry container on ice, and they will do really well. So that's one of my favorites is to go east and do that. Another possibility, though, particularly if you're an early season an archery hunter, uh, be going the other way and going up into the hills and hunting deer, elk uh, with archery or muzzleloading equipment, as might be here in a couple of weeks, Uh, Now you're going to be in trout country in a big way, and that means for me brook trout because this time of year, brookies are absolutely gorgeous. They are a member of the char family. They get beautiful, right? So their colors, uh, the males will get a kipe or a hook jaw. Uh, They're just as impressive as they're ever going to get this time of year. And oh, by the way, brook trout have a really nasty habit of overpopulating and therefore stunting. So of all the fish species a guy could eat, the, the two, in my opinion, that benefit the best, at least in my home state, are brook trout and white bass. And uh, both of those will overpopulate in a hurry. And therefore, eating a bunch of them is, is good for both the lake and your belly. So they're both delicious. So if I'm going uh, to do some hunting, let's say, it's not so mu- some, some archery hunting, it's not so much about filling my freezer with these brookies as it is eating them in camp uh, or eating them while I'm in the field, whether I'm truck camping or camper camping or, or for that matter, even staying in one of the yurts or the, or the uh, rental cabins or whatever that's available depending on where you're staying. But I dearly love to catch a few brookies during the middle of the day when the elk are sleeping in the timber uh, or the deer bedded in the shade somewhere is go catch some brookies and then eat them before the evening hunt. And fresh brook trout are absolutely delicious. Even little dudes are absolutely delicious. Typically, I cook them whole. 
I will cook them completely encased in something like aluminum foil if I can, and then I cook them till they're barely done. And generally what happens then is the skin will come off very easily and the meat will flake off the bones very easily. I try to use minimal knife work with brook trout if at all possible. But man, they're delicious. A little bit of butter uh, will go a long ways for that. If you're going to backpack in, we've talked about this in the past. If you're going to backpack, bring yourself some hunks of foil, aluminum foil, and some of those butter packets you get at like KFC that I realize are not real butter, but they will suffice when it comes to cooking brookies in a foil packet. A couple of salt and pepper, um, the little paper ones like you'd see at a McDonald's or something, a couple of those in your backpack and suddenly you've got a recipe for some really yummy brook trout while you're hunting for uh, deer or elk in, in the high country. Another possibility though for the deer and the elk would be grouse and uh, grouse are excellent as well. Delicious to eat. They can be a little bit piney if, if possible. I like to marinate them a little bit if I can in something acidic or, um, or, or basic. Either one really you're trying to, to, to denature the meat but something that's either very basic or very acidic are both good for marinating that. Buttermilk is excellent. Red wine is excellent. Um, whatever it is you want to use, even just a brine, a 5% salt brine solution for an hour will be really good for them as well. But grouse are an excellent choice. And another possibility might be, in some cases, the fall turkey season, if you have a tag for that, or uh, ptarmigan in the way high country. If you're going to go into the way high country in Colorado, you can hunt ptarmigan as well. So those are all cast and blast options that are excellent if you're going to archery hunt or you're going to, um, to muzzleload hunt. Another possibility was we, get, we need to get a little bit later in the season, but another possibility when we get into October will be some of the squirrels as well. And squirrels, in my opinion, are one of the most underrated food items out there. Uh, if you like dark meat chicken or dark meat turkey, you will like squirrel. It's If I prepared it for you, how I cook it, and, and just I basically do a quick braise on it, very, very simply, uh, a pan roasted with a lid on it, you know, pan roast it to brown it, put a little bit of liquid in there, put a lid on it, stick it in the oven, let it braise down for a little bit. Absolutely delicious. Squirrel's delicious. And I've actually tricked a few guests by serving it to them, and so far the, the number one answer when they're not, they don't know what it is, is dark meat turkey. So that gives you some idea, and I happen to love dark meat, so in fact if, if I'm going to eat a chicken or a turkey, I usually will go right for the thigh first. So Squirrels, in my opinion, delicious, and they're available during most of the hunting seasons in Colorado, whether you're on the eastern plains or not. And if you're in the eastern plains or western Kansas or southern Nebraska, any of the river bottoms are full of cottonwood trees, and they've got big old fox squirrels in those too, and those squirrels are like three pounds apiece, big old giant squirrels, and they are absolutely delicious. So that's another possibility to go right along with your fishing while you're out there. And I really like that idea. Uh, another possibility that we deal with when we get later in the year, now as the, as the seasons progress and we, we get later into the end of the year, um, we start looking at potential for during the later gun seasons, um, a possibility of some, some pushing ice even or some very cold water fishing. And that at that point, the reservoirs will fish really well too. So if you're around any of the western reservoirs uh, in the United States, the reservoir fishing will come around a lot during the gun season. So if you're, at, say, a third or fourth rifle season in Colorado, and I don't care if you're talking about Granby or Williams Fork or Blue Mesa or... Um, really any of them. Uh, Navajo, they're all going to fish really good, whereas if you're talking about the early season right now, they might be a little tougher to deal with without a boat. 
But when you start getting around the later during the gun seasons, now those things are going to be very efficient. I'm going to look at inlets hugely. I'm going to look at windblown rock, uh, depending on where that is and what species are in the lake. For sure, I'm going to look for areas where um, where uh, either lake trout or brown trout or brook trout will spawn wherever that's going to be in the reservoir. So in other words, shallow, flat, rocky areas with wind blowing on them. Uh, or that are predominantly normally windblown, uh, that's where I'm going to look for them. And that's for sure going to be an opportunity to catch them from the bank, even though you're dealing with great big reservoirs that are normally hard to deal with with a boat. Because obviously in most scenarios, we are, this is going to be, if we're talking about these big game seasons later in the year, this is going to be more of a hunt with some fishing on the side. Whereas some of the Eastern Plains ones in the early season I started this podcast with would be more of a fishing trip with some big or some small game on the side. So I would tailor my cast and blast to one or the other, depending on which the conditions are going to be better for or where my priority is. If I've got a big game tag in my pocket, it is my priority and the fishing will become the backup. But if I don't have a big game tag, then as far as I'm concerned, the fish and the small game are six, one half dozen the other. And if the weather's better for hunting, I'll go hunting. If it's better for fishing, I'll go fishing. And that's just how I'll plan that stuff. Uh, and again, if I'm going in the high country, it's more about eating them right now than, than bagging them up or something like that. Now, let's say we're getting into the later seasons and now we're talking about the possibility of doing ice fishing. And ice fishing, to me, a couple things come to mind when I think about ice fishing. And we filmed this once before and had a great time doing it. We filmed with Austin Parr of Parr's Guide Service, a uh, very good friend of mine, um, excellent outdoorsman all the way around. He and I went and filmed a classic cast and blast where we went duck hunting first thing in the morning. We filmed this in December. We went duck hunting first thing in the morning and shot our limit of ducks. And then we were done by like 10 in the morning. And then we put the ducks on ice, got them all cleaned up, changed gears in the truck and went, we were duck hunting on the river adjacent to a gravel quarry pond that had frozen already. So then we immediately got done cleaning up the ducks, get them put on ice and get uh, back in the truck, get the ice gear out and drilled holes and caught a bunch of crappie and bat, largemouth bass. And that was a really fun cast and blast to do the ice fishing and, and the shooting. Now, I'll be dead honest with you. I am not a huge ice fisherman by any stretch. In fact, I, I do minimal ice fishing. I'm not very comfortable on the ice. I grew up in South Florida. I'm not a huge fan of freezing cold in the first place. And I'm really not a fan of standing on the ice. And I think it's because when I, the very first time I ever went ice fishing, I fell through the ice and it put a bad taste in my mouth. I was a kid. I was fresh from Florida, didn't know anything. The guy that took me out on the, on the ice thought he did. And right through the ice, I went, uh, kind of put the sketch on me on being on ice. I don't like the ice a whole lot, but I don't want to dwell on that too much, nor am I a giant duck hunter. I like to shoot migratory stuff, ducks and geese. But I'm not a huge fan of sitting in a blind for a long period of time. So if I can walk and jump shoot them, I like that. Um, I don't even mind a little bit of pass shooting in a good spot here and there. Uh, but I'm not a huge fan of sitting in a blind for a long period of time. But like I said, with Austin, we, we were in the blind from, from daylight till 9 in the morning. We were cleaned up and done by 10. So I can even, even a guy with, with, you know, a short attention span like me can handle that. So that's a really fun cast and blast as well. And duck is absolutely delicious. Wild duck is delicious. Now I'll throw out a couple things about that. If you're 
if, let's say you know a fair bit about cooking. If you go buy a store-bought duck breast, it is 100% different than a wild duck. Your store-bought duck breast might take an hour or half an hour to render, render all the fat. The wild duck you're talking about who's had to make a real living instead of living on a farm and being fed, he's a whole different beast in terms of the fat content and all of that. They're, they need to be cooked carefully, a little bit more carefully, but it is absolutely delicious. And I almost always parry, pair a duck, I should say, with some sort of a berry sauce, um, a plum sauce, a raspberry, something like that, a blackberry, something like that. We'll go, I'll make a pan sauce after I render the, render the fat, make, make, it, uh, make the fat and the skin crisp up good. And then flip it over, cook it barely through, and then make a pan sauce behind it. Cut the duck real thin, and uh, and and then drizzle it over the top. It's absolutely delicious with any sort of a berry. But that can be a really fun deal. Is early ice fishing, which is some of the best ice fishing of the year. In fact, in my opinion, it's the best ice fishing of the year. Is right after the ice forms, and the early duck seasons go together really, really good. And then the last one I'll throw out there, and this one's more. I would say maybe it's a little bit uh, more for guys that are really more hardcore hunters, but the late season um, hunting season. So some of the like the snow gaze seasons, or the um, the late uh, late deer seasons. Like there's quite a few late deer seasons in Colorado that go all the way into like January. Those seasons go really good with a variety of, of ice fishing there as well. So you can definitely get into those. And then the last one I'll throw out there is some of the ice fishing, the late season ice fishing also goes really good with predator hunting. So if I'm going to hunt coyotes, for instance, or foxes, I want that to be done when their pelts are absolutely prime. And I want to do it in areas where I know that ranchers are having problems, particularly with coyotes where they're having problems with them. So I'll try to associate my, or where I know there's a lot of mangy coyotes because then you're doing a favor to the coyotes and the population of animals in general to thin down those those mangy coyotes. In that case, we only shoot the ones with mange. And in so doing, you will reduce the spread of mange into other places. So it's a, it's a public service thing as much as anything else in that scenario. So Long story short, like I said, you have between now and September 1 all the way until the end of the year, basically, to get a whole bunch of casts and blasts done, and I strongly recommend you do it because it just leads to an overall fun day. It's like two totally separate trips for the cost of one, and I really like that part. Plus, typically in most hunting, you're going to have some downtime, and uh, and when that happens, that's a perfect time to go get some fishing done, is my opinion. So a couple things, like I said, keep a very sharp and versatile knife on hand all the time. And basically at this point, guys, in my career, I don't go anywhere without a very good quality sharp knife and the ability to, to, to produce food or to prepare food from anything I need to harvest in my boat, in my truck, uh, at my house. I keep the outdoor edge kit, so I keep one in each different one, a different knife with replaceable blades. And uh, and then I typically will keep a cooler, and you can stop just about anywhere and get some ice. Uh, and if I know I'm go, going harvesting, I take two-liter bottles and I repurpose them. Uh, I don't drink out of them. I just fill them uh, 95% full, so they got a little headroom for the ice to freeze. I keep about six or eight of them in my deep freeze frozen all the time. And then you can throw them in a cooler. And the reason that's handy is for one, they last a long time. For two, because the water's contained, uh, it don't, you don't have to worry about getting everything else wet and I don't have to go buy ice. So that's a quick tip that works there. The replaceable blade knives are excellent because 
again, if I need to replace blades, I don't have to carry a sharpening stone separate. The, the blades themselves stay right in the packet with the knife. And oh, by the way, they are ridiculously sharp. And when you're talking about dealing with big game, it might not be quite as important. It's fairly easy to handle big game with your grandpa's old dull knife. But something like a squirrel or a rabbit, which by the way, rabbit is one of my favorite things to eat of all. Um, squirrels and rabbits, stuff like that, small birds, a sharp knife is, is, is imperative to, to have nice, clean work on there. That's why I carry the replaceable blade outdoor edge knives and saws, as the case might be. So, cast and blast. Guys, it's a great way to fill the freezer. Uh, also makes for fun food for your friends when you put that together and you serve them maybe some white bass and dove, a little surf and turf style. Uh, or something like that, uh, you know, maybe some, maybe you got lucky and shot an elk and you got a fresh cut of elk and a little brickies on the side. I mean, that's eating like a king right there. So I recommend you guys do it. Pack minimal stuff for whichever one is the lesser of the two importance. So if I'm, let's say I'm going bow hunting for elk, well, I'm not going to bring a whole bunch of fishing tackle and, and I'm going to bring a single rod. It's going to be a pack rod. Um, so it's going to be multiple piece, three to five piece rod, depending on whether it's a fly rod or spinning rod, how long it is. I guess three to four would be a better statement there. Um, whatever it is, keep it simple. If I'm going in the high country for elk, I'm probably going to bring the four-piece, seven-foot-nine, three-weight, little short, stubby, three-weight. I don't need to be the hero caster. I just need to be able to dab up some rookies. You know, if I'm going to do the, the big reservoirs in November or late October, like I was saying, for maybe Lakers or whatever from the bank, I'm going to bring a single two-piece, you know, maybe a medium or medium-heavy spinning rod with me. I'll just leave it in the truck. And one small Plano 3700 box with a, with a half dozen baits. I'm not talking about making a giant fishing trip out of it. Just get yourself in the ballpark. In that scenario, it's always my confidence baits, and it's a rod that I'm willing to lose because in the event of a hunting and fishing trip, you're going to have a lot of gear. Uh, I don't like to bring my really high-end stuff unless I'm focused on just that item. So if it's if it's coming as a kind of a little bit of an afterthought, which happens, you know, let's say on a big game trip, big game hunting trip, the fishing gear is an afterthought. Well, I'm going to bring my confidence base and, and just a basic rod and reel combo that's appropriate for wherever I'm going. That's all I'm going to do. Again, be prepared to harvest food if you're going to. When you go in the field, you know you're going to harvest a deer and elk. You're all prepared. You have game bags and everything you need to take it apart and all that. Well, you need to do the same for uh, your small game stuff. Uh, at the same time. So if you're going to be, you know, in the high country harvesting, you know, grouse and and rabbits and, you know, ptarmigan and elk all at the same time, you're prepared for that. Well, be prepared to handle your fish too. So guys, if you want to join the conversation, I'd appreciate you do so, including a bunch of uh, fishing game cooking on our YouTube channel. That's at Fishful Thinker on our YouTube channel. Uh, also on Instagram or Facebook at Fishful Thinker. Very important there. Uh, that you stop by and check those things out. If you have questions, you can shoot me an email at chat at fishfulthinker.com. And most importantly, we hope you'll tune in to World Fishing Network and see what we got going on there or Altitude Sports. And lastly, I'm going to throw out there, this is a basic plea, guys. If you are a Colorado-based person and you want to watch us on Altitude Sports, please send Altitude Sports Comcast a uh, email saying, hey, we love Altitude Sports. We would like them back on. There's a big campaign to do that. That would help us all out. And uh, that's my gratuitous plug on that for the day. So thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast.